Precious Lord, I thank you so much uh, for Neil. I thank you for uh, the man of God that he is. I thank you for uh, the ways in which you've been growing and teaching him over years. And Lord, I thank you for the time that he's spent uh, in preparing for this evening as he comes to speak to us. Lord, I pray that your spirit would dwell deeply within him uh, and that you would dwell deeply within your word and that you would speak to us through it. Come, Lord Jesus, and may your presence known to us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Good. So, tonight, as, as we begin, I'm just going to recap on where we've got to in the story of Jonah, who was a prophet in the court of King Jeroboam II, around 750 years before Jesus was born. And God spoke to Jonah and told him to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. And Nineveh was at the centre of the Assyrian Empire, a cruel and ruthless state who had the upper hand in terms of power in the Middle East at that time. So for Jonah to go to Nineveh would have been really dangerous. That's one reason why he might not want to go. To bring, but the other reason was because he didn't want to bring a message of hope to the people who were the enemies of his people. Jonah had an idea that he was a prophet of God who was going to speak to God's people and he didn't want to speak to the people, he wasn't going to speak to the people who hated God's people, he was only going to speak to the people who loved God. So Jonah ran away and went in exactly the opposite direction to Nineveh. Instead of going east, he went west. Instead of getting on a camel, he gets on a boat and he sails off to Tarshish. And he's fleeing from the Lord. But as we've already seen, that is not a good idea. It is a foolish fantasy to think that you can run away from God. So a storm starts in the sea and the sailors uh, wake Jonah up and they get him up to the deck. And then tonight we get to verse 7 of chapter 1 of Jonah. And it's on page uh, 928 in your Bibles. It's always quite hard to find Jonah, I find. It's um, not the easiest book in the Bible. It sort of moves around, some people say, so you can't find it deliberately. But there we are. Verses 7 to 10 say this. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So these are the verses that we're looking at tonight. And they're all about these sailors trying to work out who has done this. And when they say who has done this, they're talking about which God has made this incredible storm. Because they know, they're experienced mariners, they know that this storm is not a normal storm. It's a storm that's a supernatural storm. A storm that they, the like of which they've never seen before. So they need to know why they're in so much trouble 
and who has caused it. And as we usually expect, nobody's owning up. Nobody is owning up. It's the same when people say, who broke that window? Nobody owns up. When they say, who invited all those people to the lockdown party? Nobody owns up, do they? Everybody stays quiet, and so the sailors cast lots to allow this supernatural chance into the ordered affairs of humanity. You ca they cast the lots, and they wait to see what happens. And up till now, Jonah has kept separate from the sailors. Up to now, he's sort of ignored them. He's been asleep underneath the decks, and now he's come up, and he hasn't prayed to God. But now the lot is cast and it falls to Jonah. So he has to allow them into his story. And they pepper him with questions. They're asking about his purpose, his place where he's come from, and the race that he belongs to. The first and most important question is, who has done this? They're wanting to know who the God is. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? They're asking which God has been angered. For in the ancient world, there were lots of gods. At that point, there was no great world religion. There was no world religion. Christianity is now spread over all the world. Islam is a major religion over all the world. The Jewish nation's been spread out over all the world. But that just hadn't happened in those days. Everything was more local. Everything was much more regional. So each tribe or nation would have their own God. They would have their own God who would guide them and lead them. And as the nations rose and fell, the gods would, get, would rise and fall with them. Because if a God led his people into battle and those people won, then that God must be stronger than the God of the people who were defeated. So some gods gained in power, others reduced in power. But the gods were always changing and shifting and moving and everybody had their own god. There were also gods for professions. And so the sailors would probably have made sacrifices before they went out to sea to certain gods. So they asked Jonah, what do you do as well? The sailors asked, who's responsible? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your race? And these are the ways that we still identify people today, aren't they? People's identities are multi-layered. If you want to find out about somebody, you have to ask them several questions. It's not just a simple, who are you? You need to know what's all, all about them. And in reply to all their questions, Jonah first answers, I am a Hebrew. I am a Hebrew. But the question about his race was the last question that they answered. The first question was, who is responsible? But instead, Jonah answers with the last question, what is your race? What is your people? And for that to be turned around in a story like that, this is significant. Jonah's answering what he thinks is most important, that he is a Hebrew. He's avoided praying to his God up till now. And he stayed withdrawn from the pagans because he is a Hebrew. And the Hebrews kept themselves apart. When we went to the Holy Land uh, a little while ago, uh, we met a man who was an Arab from the, city, the town of Nazareth, 
who had an Israeli passport because he'd been in Israel since Israel had been formed. So he had an Israeli passport, he lived in Nazareth, and he was an Arab. But for his identity, he was an Israeli citizen, but for his identity, the fact that he was an Arab was the most important thing. And it was the same for Jonah. The fact that he was a Hebrew was the most important defining factor in his life. I am a Hebrew and I worship Yahweh. But his primary identity comes from his tribe, his race. And Jonah's faith in the Lord comes next. And so you could say that because his faith is secondary, that Jonah is spiritually shallow in his identity. He's more about his race, that's the foundation, and then his faith is the next layer. And Jonah's grown up in the court of the king. That's where he's been the prophet to King Jeroboam II. And this was a time when Israel was threatened from outside. So it was likely that they were focusing on themselves and what their position was in the world and how they were going to fight off all the people around them. So they'd drawn in and drawn in upon themselves. They expect God to be involved only and always with them. So in Jonah's understanding, he cannot work out how God could possibly want to warn the enemies of his own people of their danger of destruction. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. The prospect of calling people of other nations to faith in God just wasn't on his radar. There was a clash of loyalty. Jonah finds his identity in the fact that he is a Hebrew. When there was a clash between his loyalty to his people and his loyalty to his God, his people won out. That was the most important thing to Jonah. And it seems to me that in many ways, Jonah's a bit like the Pharisees in Jesus' time. Because the Pharisees at the time of Jesus, they wanted to keep everybody separate. They wanted to be holy They wanted to stay as just themselves. And yet the message of Jesus came to the lost and the outcast. Wherever Jesus went, God's mercy and grace kept overflowing into the lives of the people that weren't expected to get God's mercy and grace. There were the sinners and the tax collectors. There was the house of the centurion. He was a Roman, for heaven's sake. There was the daughter of the woman from Syrophoenicia. Remember the woman who said, even the dogs eat the crumbs from under the table. And her daughter was saved. The book of Jonah shows us that we need to look beyond our immediate environment to be prepared to step out of the boat. And for Jonah, stepping out of the boat is going to take a whole big new meaning in the next passage that we get to. This, to me, is about something that um, I heard about uh, a while back at a new wine conference. And the conference, uh, there was a guy who'd come across from America, and when he explained this, it just made me see life in a different way. And he said, when you look at the way Jesus dealt with people, there's a different way of doing things. And it's all about bounded sets and centred sets. And so we're going to think a bit about that. In our minds, we see 
patterns in life. That's the way our brains work. We like to look for patterns. So if you look at this slide, our heads, our minds are already trying to put those dots into patterns. Now there's three colours of dots up there and the three sets of, of dots are in different um, categories. But it's hard to see what categories they're in until you know what you're looking for. But our brains are already trying to look for what is there. And so often in our heads we work out people who are like us and people who aren't like us. Things that are good and things that are bad. We like to see things in binary ways. And when we do that, often we put things and people into bounded sets. So you're either with us or you're against us. You either support Portsmouth or you support Southampton, Liverpool or Everton. You can't do both. You have to be in one or the other. And so we create what are called bounded sets. So the green dots are all close together because they are a bounded set. And they find their identity in their closeness together. And so this is what happened with the Pharisees and at Jonah's time with the people of God. They built a wall around themselves. Their identity was being inside that wall. The barriers divide people. And those divisions have caused conflicts all the way down through history until God steps in and shows us that another way is possible. The Jewish people were meant to keep themselves holy so that they could shine as a light in the world, so that they could shine into the darkness so that God's light would be seen by all people. They were to be a light to the nations. But instead of taking that Identity. They took this identity of being holy and separate. And if you've built walls up around you, it's very difficult to shine a light through a wall. The people of God had separated themselves so effectively that none of that light was escaping. When Jesus came, he showed that things could be done differently. The Pharisees had their rules and regulations to keep them pure and holy But those same rules and regulations separated them from the people that they were meant to be serving. So they never mixed with the last and the lost and the lonely. They would never have eaten a meal with a tax collector or a prostitute. Their set excluded even the people within the people of God, the sinners in the land. And so Jesus came for just those people. And Jesus taught that it's our attitude to God and our relationship with him that matters. It's the alignment of our hearts that defines who we are and whether we're right or wrong. His definition of the people of God was the people who trusted God, just like the little children. So instead of being a bounded set, they were a centred set. It wasn't where they stood, but what direction they were facing. So some of the people that Jesus called his friends were further away from the holiness and behaviour that God's people were expected to show than any of the people in the Pharisees. They were way away from what was expected, 
but they were facing in the right direction. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, look, the prostitutes and the tax collectors are entering the kingdom before you because they've seen who I am. And I'm at the centre of this new kingdom. I'm at the centre of all that's happening from now on. So you need to be facing me and that's going to define your relationship with God. It's not about how holy you are, what you do. It's about what God has done and he's given you this opportunity to be part of his family, to be part of his people. When Jesus was asked, who is my neighbour? He told the story about the good Samaritan, the person who was so far away from being right in the Pharisees' eyes that he he would never have been accepted in their company. And he's the person who shows God's love. He's the person who's turned towards God. He's the person who's living in the way that God wants him to live. So he is the one who is the neighbour to the man who's beaten up and left beside the road. Jonah fails to see that God's mercy is for everyone. It's even for these sailors on the boat who repented and turned because suddenly they fear the Lord. They have a new relationship with God because they're fearful of him. They're in awe and wonder at this amazing storm that he's created. So they've at least seen God's power and recognised it. Jonah couldn't bear to go to Nineveh because he thought that God's word was just only for God's people. But God's word is for everyone. It's not just for those who do the right things or sit in the right places. It's for everyone. So that makes us ask, what about us? Where do we find our identity? Because there are people now who worship at altars or temples that are so different but so varied in our world. People are still finding their identity in their allegiance to the things of this world, to the idols in this world. I went on a school trip once and uh, I, was the gov- I was a governor on the school governing board and I was the vicar for the school. It was a church school. So we went on this school coach trip and before we, before we left, we, I said a prayer for the journey. And then I was sat at the front next to the coach driver. So the coach driver knew I was the vicar. He knew what I did. So he sort of, we sort of had a conversation about uh, you know, his life and my life. And he said to me, he said to me, this is my religion. This is where I worship. And he pulled up his sleeve and on his arm there was a tattoo for Liverpool Football Club. And he said, this is where I worship, this is my religion. And he was being serious. He didn't need, he didn't need Christianity. He said, this is my religion. This is where I worship. And in our city, in Portsmouth, I think our biggest temple complex has got a great spinnaker tower in the middle of it. Gunwharf Keys has shrines at which you can worship to Boss or Timberland, to Crew or Lacoste or Levi's. Because the motto of our age is, I shop, therefore I am. At one point people used to say, I think, therefore I am, but people don't worry about that anymore. They just say, I shop, therefore I am. 
because we're defined by the labels that we wear so often. There are so many consumer gods that demand our worship. And there's lots of other gods we can worship. Our careers, our social status. People give their lives to all sorts of idols. And those idols always fail to deliver. So the big question tonight is this. How's your spiritual identity? Where are you on that grid of life? Are you trying to get into God's good books by being holy and doing all the right stuff? Or are you just turned towards Jesus and allowing him to be the centre of your life? It may be that you might know people or you might be someone who's never turned to follow Jesus and you might think about how you might want to do that. Or it may be that you feel that you've drifted off of the path and perhaps Jesus is disappearing over the horizon and you've sort of lost sight of him. And sometimes when that happens, you just need to get back with his people and get a bit closer to find the right path back towards him. But it's not about being inside or outside. Jesus didn't want to set up a religion. He wanted to set up a relationship with God. That's what he came to do. It's all about our direction of travel. It's all about a lifelong journey and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus because he is the one at the centre, the author and perfecter of our faith. So let's just pause for a moment. And perhaps where we are, perhaps we might want to close our eyes and put our hands out because sometimes that's just helpful when we want to receive something from God. And I'm going to pray a prayer and you can pray this prayer in your hearts along with me if you want to. Or just think about this prayer and what it means for you. Heavenly Father, we recognise that your love and your grace flow out from Jesus for all people. We thank you that Jesus came to be the centre of your mercy and your forgiveness. May we trust and believe in him. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed upon him and may our purpose be to follow him all the days of our lives so Lord we ask that you would fill us anew with your spirit right now and lead us always in your light Lord Jesus be our centre. Be our guide. Be our vision. Amen.